The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Take your Bibles with me. Turn in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. We're going to... I'm going to teach a series of lessons on the church. Probably one of the most misunderstood um, organizations in the world is the church. And it's one thing if, if you gra- gather a group of people and ask them all, what is church all about? You're going to get probably a plethora of different answers uh, as to what the church is, what it's about, what, what, what does it mean to us, what's important does it have in our lives. But God's word is very specific on his church. And so we're going to look at, at the church for the next uh, several lessons. So look at Matthew chapter 16 with me. Let's begin in verse 13. We read here, when Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias and others Jeremiah are one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church." And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Let's pray before we go any farther. Father, thank you for this time. I pray you'd help me as I teach this lesson. I pray Holy Spirit would instruct us and, and, and provide us with wisdom. And Lord, we just want to, we desire to serve you and to love you and honor you through the local church. So bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This is the very first time the term church is used in the Bible. Matthew chapter 16, very first time the word church appears in the Bible. There are 79 passages of scripture that contain the word church. And all of them are in the New Testament. This, of course, indicates to me that the church age began with the ministry of Jesus Christ. The very first church was chiefly comprised of the 12 disciples and Jesus himself. So if the church began with Christ, what went before it? That's a good question, right? What was there before the church? Well... First, God established the home, and he worked through the family, the patriarchs, Adam, uh, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Then God established the law and worked through the priesthood and the temple sacrifices. Uh, We saw Moses and Aaron and, and the Levitical eras. Then Christ came, and he fulfilled all the law. And he did away with the need of sacrifices, all of which, by the way, all of which pointed to Christ. 
And after Christ came and, and proclaimed it finished and, and completed the work uh, that was required under the temple and the law, he established his church. Now, before we can begin to analyze the church in light of the scriptures, I think first we have to understand what a church is in, in scriptural terms. Now, Webster defines a church as follows, and I believe I put these definitions on your study sheet. Webster defines a church as, number one, a building for public and especially Christian worship. So that would, uh, that would identify this building. You can call this building a church, right? That's what we do. We call it a church. Uh, number two, it's the clergy or officialdom of a religious body. Thirdly, it's a body or organization of religious believers. Fourthly, he identifies it as a public divine worship. And fifthly, he defines it as the clerical profession. Now, while all five of these are on some level acceptable definitions, the true scriptural definition of a church focuses on definition number three, which is a body or organization of religious believers. Today, you, you'll hear churches referred to as assemblies. You ever see that on any sign, assembly of God? Or people say, well, I'm going to my local assembly. Well, that's not absolutely true, is it? Um, by, by definition of an assembly, a football game could be considered a church. Because don't people assemble together to watch a football game? Or a basketball game? Or a baseball game? Or, or a soccer game? Or a rock concert? Or any of those things? Those are assemblies, are they not? People have assembled together. So do they constitute a church? No. Those don't constitute, they are assemblies, however. So if we say a church is an assembly, then we're wrong. That's not a church. I think Mr. Webster stated it very well by using the word body. Think about your body for a moment. I think about my body a lot these days. The older I get, the more I think about my body. And I reprove my body. Why are you hurting so much? But think about your body. When you are injured, when you get injured, uh, does someone come to you and ask you, was there any assemblage damage, brother? If you get in a car wreck, is someone going to come to you and say, oh, did you suffer assemblage, assembly damage? No. You'd say, does your body hurt? Are you injured? We'd look at them a little strange if they asked you if your assembly is damaged. By comparison, Webster defines an assembly as a company of persons gathered for deliberation and legislation, worship, or entertainment. There you go. There's the football game. There's the basketball game. There's the other things. It's people gathering together for entertainment. Uh, we can have assembly in Congress. They gather together to debate or to deliberate, or to legislate. And you can have an assembly of people to come together for a church worship service. That is, that would be, that would be correct. 
But a church is defined as a collective body of believers. While an assembly is defined as a gathering of persons for the purpose of worship. So it would be accurate to state that the public church services of Berean Baptist Church are an assembly of believers. That would be accurate to say that our worship services are in fact an assembly of believers. But that still doesn't constitute the church. Because there are and there may be some presence today that are not members of our church. They're not members of this local body. However, they have assembled with us today. Right? Everybody, everybody agree with that? So, we do have an assembly today. We, are, we have assembled for our Sunday school hour. And there, are, there may be people here, and there are people today. Good to see all of you back there. There are people here today who are not members of our church. They're not members of this local body, but they have assembled with us today for the purpose of worship. So to say that a church is an assembly is not an accurate statement. It does not give the full depth of the meaning of the term church. So I state to you today that God desires to do something wonderful through the church, through the body of believers. He does not just want us to gather together two or three times a week. See, some people think that's what the church is all about. Oh, you go to, you go, we got to meet these two or three times a week. Well, that's the assembly of our, of, our, of our believers, but that's not the church. That's not the body. That's not the purpose of the church. You see, he desires that we be one. He wants each of us to be um, united into one body. He wants us to work together in harmony to enhance and advance life. He wants the church to be your life. Brian's a web designer. That's what he does to earn a living for his family. But God desires that he be the church, that the church be his life. Each of you, same thing. We each have jobs. We have careers where we go out and we labor to earn income. And the purpose of that income is to provide for our our families. But is that your life? See, your life, God desires that the church be your life. Everything starts and ends with the church. And Who is the church, by the way? Primarily, Jesus Christ. We are all united in his body. We are in the body of Christ. And Christ is, in essence, the church. And our life is to be the church. So our life is to be Christ. Now, if we don't grasp this truth then the church will never be anything more than a meeting place. And once we've come on Sunday and did our duty and gone home, we feel like we've done all we need to do for the church. But is that true? 
So you see, the church has to be more than just an assembly. It has to be more than just a meeting place. It needs to be our life. Everything we do needs to focus around and center around the church. It begins with the church. I don't wake up on Sunday morning and say, "Ah, am I going to go to church today? I don't do that. I haven't done that since since the day I got saved. There's no question what I'm going to do, but that I'm going to be in church on Sunday. And, And when we wake every morning, the first thing we should put our heart and minds on is the Lord Jesus Christ. He should be the focus of everything that we are and everything that we do. He is to be our life. If we fail to grasp this truth, we will develop the attitude that one church is as good as another. And before too long, we'll begin to believe that one doctrine is as good as another too. Think about the human body for a moment. Think about your own body. Your body is not simply a gathering of cells. Certainly our body does consist of billions of individual cells. Now my body might have a few billion more than some of yours. But our bodies consist of billions of cells, yes. But it's not just the assembly of these cells that make it a body. It is the unique bonding of those cells that comprise a singular unit the human body. No cell works independently of every other cell. The complexity of the human body is fathomless to the human mind. One cell gone awry can endanger the entire human body. Right? It's called cancer, isn't it? What are cancerous cells? They're just cells that have gone awry. And those cancerous cells can threaten the body. When one part of your body hurts, the whole body groans together. And and I'm going to tell you, the older you get, the more truth there is to that statement. Every part of me hurts when just one part of me hurts. I mean, there are days when even my hair hurts. You ever been there? Oh, you wake up and, oh, even your hair hurts. Oh. And this pain draws the attention of your entire body. Not just, not just some of your body. Your entire body. Go, go step on the nail. Don't do it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not. But I, I grew up as a carpenter working with my father. And when, I, I've, several times I've, I've stepped on nails. You know... My hand is concerned about that nail. Every part of you, your eye fixates on that nail. Your hair stands on end because of that nail. Every part of your body reacts to that, that, that damage, that injury. It, the pain affects your ability to do things, to do the things you need to do. You're forced to stop and, and to try to take care of the problem. Now... It wasn't that way when you were younger, though, right? 
I remember when I was in my 20s, I'd get a cold. I, I would bounce back in two or three days. When I was in my 30s, I'd get a cold. It took a couple of weeks. In my 40s, it, it took a month. Right now, it takes a year or more to recover. Listen, our body is very unique. The, every part of your body is important and all of it must function together. If it doesn't, then, the, then the, the body doesn't function as it should. And it could even lead to death. So when we talk about the church, we're talking about a body. The body of believers. And the same holds true to the church. While a body works in complete harmony, an assembly doesn't fare so well, does it? Science would tell us that if you place different cells together, they often attack one another. Uh, we've seen this over history with organ transplants. Maybe you know something about that. When people, a lot of times when they get an organ, it, their body rejects it. The cells battle each other and it won't accept it. It rejects it. Perhaps this is why God in his wisdom does not simply use the gathering together of people to form the church. Rather, he divinely acts upon each of us. Right? Behold, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That word creature means creation. New creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. God acts upon us <laughs> divinely, changing us <coughs> so that we all, in a manner of speaking, possess the spiritual DNA of Christ. Now, we don't literally produce, possess the DNA of Christ. Please understand me. I said we, in a manner of speaking, we, we, we are made to, to have the same DNA as the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mind, our hearts. Thus we do not repel each other. Instead we are bonded together by the love of Christ. So given all that I've just said, <coughs> I hope you can see that the church is not just an assembly. The church is not just a gathering together of people. While people do gather together to worship, that does not constitute the church. It's an assembly, yes. We come together and we worship, yes. But when we are members of the church, the body of Christ, then we are bound by the love that Christ has given each of us for one another. It's not just a gathering together of believers. It's a living body. It's one that has purpose. It's one that can accomplish all that God desires it do. So I want to look at this mysterious body for a few moments. Now, in my ambition, I put together this, this outline. I hope we get through all of it. Knowing my history, we probably won't. But we'll go as far as we can, and I'll pick it up next time wherever we leave off. So what is the church? We've identified the church as what? The body of believers. 
And we are, we are bond, bonded and we are joined together through who? Through Jesus Christ. So, the church. What is the church? All right. Number one, it is the object of God's affections. First of all, the church this morning is the object of God's affections. You might want to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll look at a couple of verses there. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll begin at verse 25. We read here, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. We're commanded here to love as Christ loved the church. The church is the object of God's affections. First thing that jumps out at me in this passage of scripture is, is found in verse 26 where it says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. We see that Christ's love for the church is pure. It's a pure love. It's like the love of a mother for her child. Did you ever hear someone say, now that's a person that only a mother could love? Never heard that? I mean... The love of a mother for her child is the most pure love that man can possess. It's just, it's just something, it's absolutely beautiful. Now, I've tried to be a good father, uh, raising my children. I've tried to, to be the best father I could. But sometimes I come across little notes that my children have written to my wife. And I read those notes and I think, wow. They never said that to me. There's something pure about the love between a child and their mother. And, and let me say this. Any, any, any child who doesn't love their mother, that's something seriously wrong there. But it's a pure love. And, and Christ, his love for the church is pure. He has no ulterior motives. He doesn't desire to take advantage of it. He doesn't desire to misuse it or abuse it. His love for the church is pure. The church is the object of God's affection. Notice the words he uses in verse 26. Sanctify, cleanse, washing. These are all terms associated with the purification process of temple worship. They indicate purity. But secondly, I see that Christ's love for the church is purposeful. Look at verse 27. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church. So there's a purpose. There's a purpose in, in, in the church. And Christ has a purpose for uh, the local church. His love for it is pure and, and he has a purpose. But then thirdly, I see that Christ's love for the church is personal. That he might present it to himself. And today, 
you and I must realize that the church is not just some gathering of individuals. It is the miraculous work of an omnipotent God. Changing each member of the body to be in harmony with every other member of the body. And this is all done because God loves the church. And God loves the church because it is the body of Christ, his beloved son. Don't ever mistake. Don't ever stop. Don't ever think that you are so special that that God had to love you. Don't ever think that. God loves us despite ourselves. He loves us because of his love for Christ. And we are in the body of Christ. And he loves the body of Christ. My son was born in 1986. And he was born with a heart defect. And at the age of seven months, he went through open heart surgery. And I can remember, I still remember walking in the, the, the intensive care unit after his surgery, my wife and I. And I remember looking down at that little body, all full of tubes and wires, a cut from here to here, blood draining from his lungs. I remember looking down, and it was the most beautiful sight I ever saw. Because it was him. It was my son. That was his body. And I loved that body. I didn't love the tubes, and I didn't love the stitches, and I didn't love the staples. But I loved the body because it was him. You and I are kind of like those tubes and staples. And, and God, God loves us because we are Christ. We are in his body. And that's why God loves us. This is all done because God loves his son. And if the church is the object of God's affection, and it is, then it should be the object of my affection too. Not just the physical building, or not just the concept of the church, but the literal church, the body of believers. That's why I love you. I love you. I pray for you. I have your names on the list that I, I take to the Lord in prayer. And I pray for you and I do what I can to help people. Because I love you. And the reason I love you is we're all part of the same body. We're all in Christ together. And the church is to have so much meaning to us. It's not just a building. It's not just a gathering together of people. It's the love that binds us together. It's the life that binds us together. We must love one another as we love ourselves. And we must work together in harmony. Helping those members of the body in need. And thus fulfilling God's will for the church. 
Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, Verse 3, he writes, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And he's talking here, he's talking here to Christians. He's saying, you look to each other's needs. You look to one another. You know, the, the church in Jerusalem, the first church, they had this right. What does the Bible say? They pulled all things together. They had all things common. And they shared everything amongst themselves, with each other. That was, that was the purest church, probably, that's been in existence since Christ started the church. They had it right. They, they loved each other. They, they were concerned for one another and they cared for one another and, and, and they took care of each other. Listen, the church is God's, the object of God's affection. And if God loves the church, then I need to love the church. I, I must love the church. It is the object of God's affection. But number two, the church is the beneficiary of God's grace. Not only is it the object of God's affection, but secondly, it's the beneficiary of God's grace. Ephesians 5, we read it earlier, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul writes, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You notice he's writing to the church of Thessalonica. And what did he say? Grace be unto you. He's saying grace unto the church. The church is the beneficiary of God's grace. Now, grace is understood to mean the unmerited love and favor of God. Then the question becomes, is the church alone the recipient of God's grace? And my answer to that question would be both yes and no. There are particular graces for which the church is the beneficiary of, but there are common graces that God gives to all men. The rain, the warmth of the sun, the, the food that grows from the earth. These are, not, these are not solely for the church, right? They're for all men. So there are the common graces that God gives unto all men. But the particular graces of redemption are given to the church. The church is the beneficiary of these graces. Grace in the context... We are discussing is the means whereby one is redeemed unto God. And we know that all men are not saved. Therefore, grace is not available 
to all men. Well, I shouldn't say it's not available. It is available, but most men reject it. Grace is given to those who are saved and are baptized into the one true church. One of the most misunderstood verses in scripture is 2 Peter 3.9. 2 Peter 3.9 states, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, first of all, when you, when you consider that verse, you have to consider that the book of 2 Peter is written to believers, not unbelievers. Uh, this is certain uh, due to Peter's address of the first seven verses. Go back and read the first seven verses of the book. It's very clear that Peter is talking to the church here. He's not talking to unsaved people. Second, chapter 3 of Second Peter is also cl- clearly written to save men and women, warning them of the dangers and the wiles of false prophets. So his statement in verse 9 of this chapter is meant to reaffirm God's promise to his elect children to remember the redeemed and not forsake them. And that is the meaning of 2 Peter 3.9. It is not intended to extend an open-ended invitation for all mankind to make a choice for God or not. If this were true, it would in fact deny the sovereignty of God in the administration of grace. It would in fact make the will of God subservient to the will of man. And besides all this... If God is indeed sovereign, his will must be obeyed. So therefore, if God is not willing that any man should perish spiritually, then no man would perish spiritually if it's the will of God. Because his will cannot be defeated. There is no way to answer that question without denying the authority of God in the matter of salvation. It makes man a God unto himself, giving him, man, the ultimate power to choose for himself knowing good and evil. In Genesis chapter 3, someone tried that with Eve. It was called, he was called Satan. It says there, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth, not, doth know that in that day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You know, that's the philosophy of the Arminians today. Exactly the same philosophy Satan used. Satan told Eve... That her will, or her choice, was the only one that counted. He told her that she was capable of determining right from wrong, good from evil, and that she did not need God for that. And the Armenian preacher today will say that God has done all that he can do for you. He will imply through, uh, although not directly state, that God, uh, that all God can do now is sit back and wait like an expectant father. Waiting for you to make a choice. After all, they say, Christ only died to make it possible for all men to be saved. And if that's true, then that means that Jesus died on the cross without knowing anyone would be saved. That that would mean that Jesus gave his life a sacrifice on the cross, and perhaps no one would have ever believed in him and been saved. And that means God the Father would have sacrificed his son in vain. Does that make sense to you? Doesn't make sense to me. 
Doesn't make any sense at all to me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sacrifice my, one of my children or my grandchildren on the, on, the, on the maybe that something good would happen. I couldn't sacrifice them anyway, but you know what I'm saying. Listen, folks. The church is the beneficiary of God's saving grace. Not all, not all of mankind. The church is the beneficiary of God's grace. And I don't have time to go into point number three. We'll take it up next time. But the church is much more than, than most people think. Listen, I, I talk to people at work all the time. Good people. But they have such a misconception of what the church is. And I tell them, no, no, no. The church is so much more than you realize. The church is your life. All right, folks, that's all the time I have. Thank you for being here today, and you're dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.